We're going to continue our series on the Father Heart of God. It's just been a great series. We've had so much fun. Just God's love just being poured out on us in a quite remarkable way. And just the last three weeks, we've been looking at God as a father and asking, well, what's he like? What's he like as a father? And we've seen that he's a father who loves us. He's attentive. He's protective. He's thoughtful and he's diligent. In fact, God is the perfect father and he wants each one of us to know his love and affection. And so Paul writes this, he says in Romans chapter 5 verse 5 that the father's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God wants us to have an encounter with his love. He has generously, extravagantly poured out his love by the Holy Spirit. And it's just like some of us have been getting a fresh sense of that over the last few weeks, just the love of God being poured out. And I'm expecting more of that today. I just feel that that's something that God wants to do, that prophetic word that came earlier about a river being amongst us. I believe that's a river of the love of God that's being poured out amongst us. So I want you to be open, to be expectant. Uh, I believe that God wants to give us a fresh revelation of his love. And to have a fresh revelation of the love of God is actually life-changing. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that. To know how much I'm loved by God and think about who God is. He loves me unconditionally. That's life-changing. That is absolutely life-changing. So that's what we're believing for. And I believe that today we're going to get some people set free uh, and to get some healing as well. That's what we're going to go for today because we've been talking about what's God like as a father and kind of we're saying today, well, what's your father like? (laughs) What's your father like? Your own experience of fatherhood. And so this is my prayer for us today, and it's a prayer that I've taken directly out of the book of Ephesians, and it's Paul's prayer. And he says this, he says, I pray that your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And I pray that you may have the power to understand, as all God's people need to, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it's too great to fully understand, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Amen. That's my prayer for us today. You see, we all need a continual revelation of the Father's love. Because, you see, we're never going to reach the end of it. It's just too great. It's too great for us to grasp or to fully understand. That's why we should never get tired of hearing about the love of God. There's just so much to discover. But there is a battle. And there is a battle to do with our own hearts. There is a battle for the Father's love. We're all sons of God, but how many of us from time to time tend to act like slaves? We don't act like we're sons. We tend to act like slaves, and or even fatherless children. Fatherless children, and the Bible calls these orphans. So children in the Bible who are without both parents, that's not what he's referring to. Actually, the biblical reference to orphans is always to do with the fatherless. That's interesting, isn't it? 
It's always to do with the fatherless. Because in the Middle East, the attitude would be, if my brother died, I've got an actual natural brother. If he died, then I would be expected to become the father to his children and take responsibility. They wouldn't be fatherless. It would be disgraceful for me not to fulfill that obligation. So an orphan is somebody who's fatherless. And for somebody, somebody hasn't fulfilled that obligation, it's a disgraceful thing. Fatherless, an orphan. But there is this incredible love from the Father. And it comes down to us. But because of the conditioning that we have received just from the world that we live in, we find it difficult sometimes to fully accept that love. Because we live in a fatherless world, and so we are conditioned to act like we're fatherless, like we're orphans. And this is to do with the problem of fatherlessness. And first of all, this problem affects us all spiritually, because fatherless is the state in which we are all found. Ever since the fall, as I was saying a few weeks ago, we are all born into this world separated from Father God. We are all born into fatherlessness and our lives fundamentally are about finding him. Now, sometimes people say, well, what's the purpose of God for my life? Well, this is the primary one. It's to find God and to know his love. That's our primary purpose. So have you ever felt that ache? Have you ever felt that kind of hole? that kind of longing for God, that's because we were separated from the Father and we're rightfully to pursue the love of the Father. And it's why we must all be born again. We're born into fatherlessness, but we have to be born born again, reconnected to the Father and to the Father's love. Amen? So at this grassroots level, there is a battle because the devil is a committed orphan maker. He wants to keep us separated from God. He wants to keep us separated from the Father's love spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And you've only got to look around society to see that this is being worked out wherever you look. Fatherlessness. The orphan maker is at work. You know, fatherlessness is rampant. And I think there's a demonic campaign, actually, for fatherlessness. A few years ago, the Centre for Social Justice commissioned a report and it showed that there were over a million people without fathers, a million children without fathers, growing at a rate of 20,000 a year. Isn't that mind-blowing? 20,000 a year. And the latest estimates are that that the figure is expected to reach 2 million fatherless children by the next general election in 2015. 2 million children without fathers and that's not insignificant is it and neither is the effect that fatherlessness has on our children is it any wonder that there are so many people in our society that are damaged you know studies of children living in America where currently one in three children grow up fatherless show that children living in homes without fathers are five times more likely to live in poverty than children who live with both a father and mother. Two to three times more likely to develop an emotional or behavioural problem requiring psychiatric treatment. More likely to commit crime, do poorer in school, and perhaps most tragically of all, children who grow up fatherless also are more likely to commit suicide 
than those who grew up in a home with both parents. Isn't that tragic? And so fatherlessness in our society has reached epidemic proportions. More and more people are affected by it, and ministering to the fatherless has to be a growing part of our ministry today as church. I mean, how do you think these kinds of people who've grown up with no fathers or poor examples for fathers or having poor experience of fathers, how do you think they will respond to a God who wants to be called Father? Or even Daddy? A really vivid experience I had with somebody recently praying with them was they realized that they had never called anybody Daddy. And then how God led him to that place where he could finally call God Daddy. Never had that kind of intimacy. But even those of us who have fathers can have a distorted or imperfect view of fatherhood. Because every one of us, which is rather depressing for me as a dad, but every one of us has imperfect fathers. And Jesus even acknowledges the imperfection of our fathers. Look at this. If you think about this in the context of what kind of dad am I, all right? Listen to this verse again. Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks you a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks you for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil... (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more your Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him. Now, I've never read that passage with that emphasis before. You being evil. Evil? Me? I'm a dad. Am I evil? So, frantically, I did research on the words in the hope that I could find some kind of escape clause that would prove that I wasn't evil. But the more I looked into the verse, the more distressed I became. It says here, it says, uh, in Strong's, it says, evil Strong's says this, causing pain and trouble. Bad father. Morally corrupt. If you being evil, how about that? And of course, Jesus tells us that there is only one perfect father who he came to reunite us with. It's a shocking thought, you being evil. And Mark Stibbe, in his book, I Am Your Father, a book that I thoroughly recommend you read to accompany this series. I'm going to quote from that book quite a lot today. But in in his book, I Am Your Father, identifies seven types of imperfect fathers. And I want to take you through those today. I want to take you through those seven types of imperfect fathers. I want to ask you this question. As I go through this list, I want you just to be honest with yourself and say, well, what has my experience of fathering been like? So the first one is this, absent father. An absent father. That means absent in terms of distance. He's just simply not there. Or maybe he's died. Or through divorce, disinterest, disease or desertion. And um, as I was thinking about this, I I remembered uh, my good friend Darren and how we've talked about this kind of thing before from his own experience, because actually Darren has given me permission to share this, but Darren uh, grew up never knowing his dad. He never knew his father. So I said, look, 
here's the notes for the talk today. What do you think? How do you respond to this? And this is what he wrote back, which I think you'll find is incredibly eloquent. Let me just read this to you. Darren says, I found that because I was born into a single-parent family, I had no reference point. So I didn't feel like I was missing out. I just didn't have anything to miss out on in the first place. But it was my behaviour that showed a lack of fatherlessness. I was very immature as I was growing up. Very immature in my teens, I would often at times become reclusive and would use those times to fantasise. Even now, I find myself thinking as a child and then my father steps in and reminds me that I'm not a child anymore but the man he's created me to be. Likewise, when I want to withdraw and go into my own world, God will remind me of the responsibility of being a father and a husband. And that's what a father does. He gets alongside his children and reminds them of who they really are and picks them up. Yes, the responsibility is on the likes of us to think differently and to seek change. But I also think we need to encourage fathers to foster. Wonderful. Thank you, Darren. Second type of father that Mark Stibbe identifies is the apathetic father. Uh, Fathers that are kind of emotionally disconnected from their children. There's just no affirmation there. There's no affection there. And it can be for, you know, quite legitimate reasons. It can be simply they, they just work so hard. They're just tired all the time. There's just so much busyness. There's such a problem with busyness in our society today. But the result of that is that as a father, he's apathetic. And he's unable to engage emotionally with his children. It's like all the emotion has gone out of him in the workplace. And there's nothing left to give out. Apathetic father. Thirdly, the addicted father. This is the father whose life is dominated by mood-altering substance or behavior. And it's characterized quite often by outbursts of anger and an atmosphere of fear. I spent quite a long time a few years ago with a guy who was to become a very close friend, but I found out that his experience of fatherhood was just more shocking than I'd ever known. His father was an alcoholic, and he would come home regularly and just beat the whole family. And he'd come home late at night, pull the kids out of bed, and he would just beat them. No apparent reason, he just would. But one day he came home and he went too far. And he beat the children, he got a hammer, and he started to hit the children with the hammer. And the mother jumped in front of the children to protect them, and she was knocked out unconscious. And then within a few minutes, the older brother jumped in front of the younger brother, who was my friend, he was only five at the time, and tried to protect his father. He took two or three blows to the head. But finally he turned on my friend, the youngest son, he was five years old at the time, he hit him with a hammer three times again. His head is dented now in the back. The back of his head is dented and he mercifully went into unconsciousness. And as he saw all three bodies lying on the floor, he just ran out of the house. And I met this young man a few years ago and he had some father issues. (laughs) He has some things he needed to work through, some forgiveness issues. He found it incredibly hard to trust anybody in authority. He found it very hard to trust 
uh, anybody else for intimacy or to have a relationship. And I've just got to testify that that guy is amazing now. God's done an amazing work of healing. He's still got the dent in his head and a slight bold patch there, but he is just a, a man on fire for God who's so grateful of finding the father heart of God. The addicted father. Has that been your experience? God is able to bring healing to people even who've experienced those kinds of things. Fourthly, the achievement father. A father who has incredibly high standards, a perfectionist, a father who's driven and rewards success only. This kind of father is performance orientated. It's kind of conditional love that you get from this kind of dad. If you do well, son, you'll get love and affirmation. That's your reward. And the pressure is on all the time to perform, to perform, perform. So these kind of people come out of that kind of performance mindset. I've got to do well, otherwise nobody will love me. Very driven kind of personalities grow up under that influence. And number five, authoritarian father, or sometimes known as the drill sergeant dad, is the kind of dad who uses threats and intimidation to control and manipulate family. Judgmental and meaningless punishments come from that relationship. There's a close friend of mine um, who's again come to know the father and found incredible healing. He grew up in that kind of atmosphere. And he sort of describes his child as being one of lots of rules. Everything had a rule. Everything. The whole day was mapped out. You had to be up by a certain time. You had to be washed by a certain time. You had to be dressed by a certain time, even in the holidays. You were told when you could eat. You were told when you could come in, when you could go out. Everything was regimented. And then as he grew up, and and finally he he left school and he went to work, even in that time he didn't have any freedom from that regiment. So he wasn't allowed to use the bathroom upstairs because he might wake people up and disturb them, so he had to use the downstairs sink. Just ridiculous, stupid rules, terrible control, authoritarianism, just to say, I'm the boss. Maybe that's been your experience of fatherhood. Sixthly, the abdicating father. That's a father who fails to be directly involved in any frequent and meaningful way in a child's life. So maybe the kind of dad who says, well, I'll just leave it to mum, she can sort it out. Uh, Or I'll just leave it to the nanny, if you're that kind of (laughs) level in society. The nanny will take care. I'm not going to have any part in disciplining, show affection, showing love. That's not my job. And then seventhly, there's the abusive father, the one who intentionally shames his child through verbal, physical, or emotional, or sexual harm. That one's pretty well known, the abusive father. It quite often catches the headlines, but I was just reading this uh, recently. In May 2014, there was a news report that said rather shockingly that the number of children suffering emotional abuse And being referred to the police and children's services by NSPCC has risen by 40%, 47% in a year. Emotional abuse is now the thing that is occurring more and more in homes in our country. Children being emotionally abused. So ministers are now looking for a change in the law. So seven kinds of father 
seven kinds of inadequate fathers. And the reality is that these experiences of our fathering then become the lens through which we begin to see God. Can you imagine that? Can you understand that? Because if that's all I've ever known of my father who's treated me like that, then I'm going to presume that Father God is going to be the same. (laughs) So it becomes that kind of lens that distorts then who the father is. It distorts the father's love. And so understandably, there are going to be aspects of the father's love that I just cannot receive. I just cannot entertain. And so this is, these kinds of experiences leave wounds in our hearts that need to be healed and very often cause us to act more like slaves than sons. I was recently reading about a child who'd been rescued from a slave owner, but for all his life he'd been kept in a cage. But as this child had grown, he'd obviously got taller, and the cage wasn't changed. He just had to stoop to live in that cage. I mean, mercifully, he was fed and watered, but he was treated like an animal. But after his rescue, he was taken out of the cage, but he was still unable to walk upright. He just stooped. And so the, the writer who observed this asked the question, is there something physically wrong with him? Why is he not able to stand upright? And he said, no, there's nothing physically wrong with the child. He, he's perfectly able to stand. It's just that he thinks he's still in the cage. He's psychologically damaged, but he'll grow out of it in time. But it's like for some of us, we've grown up with that kind of restriction placed on us. We've had that kind of experience and it's been like a cage for us. And, you know, Jesus has come to break the cage and to reveal the Father's love. But because of our wounds, the damage that's been caused to us, we're still not able to stand We're still not able to stand upright. But Jesus said, I will never leave you orphans. He says, I've come to heal you and to set you free. And so Jesus came to bring us into the full understanding of the Father heart of God and our inheritance as sons. He's broken the cage so that we can stand uprightly, full of the Father's love. So let me ask you then, are you living as an orphan or are you living as a son? In his research for the book, Mark Stibbe spent some time in an orphanage in Africa and he was able to observe orphans. And uh, he worked with the staff there to identify a number of symptoms of orphan thinking, which I want to share with you now. I want to just go through another list. I'm sorry, I don't normally go through lots of lists. It's a bit seminar-ish. But I can't think of any better way of just describing this to you because I really want Jesus to heal you. I want us to be healed up people and to know the Father's love without restraint. So I'm going to just take you through this list of orphan tendencies. And as I do, why don't you ask yourself, have I got any of those tendencies in me? And I want to encourage you to be real. Because, you know, we can be so English sometimes. Sorry to keep bashing the English today. But, you know, sometimes we, you ask people, you say, how are you? I'm fine. And you know they're not. They're just lying. And uh, we're not fine, all right? We've all got stuff 
that Jesus needs to do in our lives and Jesus needs to heal. So we want to be honest with one another, but particularly with God. So let me just take you through this list of orphan simple, uh, symptoms fairly quickly. And this is the sort of things that you will feel as, uh, as a symptom yourself. You will feel these sorts of things. Firstly, abandonment, feeling a sense of abandonment because your father left you or died or worked away. And there's just this sense of distance and a difficulty in coming close. And, it, and Stibby says that this leaves a lasting legacy of poor esteem, self-esteem, and an inability to express feelings. Secondly, uh, another feeling is rejection. That sense of, I was never good enough. Or I was just ignored or withheld affection. And so that leads to self-rejection and an expectation of being rejected by others. So those kind of people find it hard to commit or to trust because they're worried about rejection's going to come again at any minute. So rejection. Or perhaps loneliness. So you may be surrounded by people, but you just feel alone and you don't know why. But you just feel that sense of loneliness... And it's often a a profound feeling. It's a sense of being isolated or insulated from others. Just a sense of loneliness. It's an orphan symptom. Or maybe hopelessness. You know, a true father's love is giving hope. And it's especially the father's job in the family to help children to dream and to be the child's greatest cheerleader. That's part of my job that I really like as a dad. Unconditional, you're the best. And an absence of that influence leads to incredible pessimism or despair, just a sense of I'm never going to achieve anything, never going to amount to anything. In fact, if I do, I think something awful's going to happen. Maybe that's what you've been feeling. What about worthlessness? Stibby says this, he says, guilt is a negative feeling about what I've done. Shame is a negative feeling about who I am. Guilt is a negative feeling about what I've done. Shame, a negative feeling about who I am. So fathers, a father's job is to affirm. To affirm. You know, so I I love those times where I can just... Eyeball my children, look them straight in the face and say, you are beautiful. Say that to my daughter, my son doesn't like that so much. (laughs) But I'll say to my son, you are strong, you are clever, you're sporty, you're amazing. And just to affirm your kids like that, I do it most days, I'll find some way of just affirming my kids. And if you've never had that kind of experience, then you're always going to wonder. You're always going to wonder, am I? What am I? A sense of worthlessness, not having any self-worth. Or perhaps sadness. Just a deep sadness. So externally, you might be the life and soul of the party, but deep inside there's a kind of melancholy. So Stibby uh, does quite an interesting study of the life of Peter Sellers. Actually, it says he's one of the most melancholy people, but actually had a terrible relationship with his dad. Never knew him, was never known, never knew the love of a father. 
Do you cry on the inside when no one else is looking? Insecurity, unsure of yourself, lack of confidence, will I be loved or accepted? Hypersensitivity, misreading situations or things said, or paranoid about others and what they might think. Or fear, just a problem with fear. So often uh, talked with people and found that actually the root of the fear is to do with the fact I never knew what it was to be secure and protected as a child. Never knew my dad was there for me. Never knew his protection. And it's just, there can be any kind of fear. Fear of failure, rejection, abandonment, sickness, not being good enough. Or poverty, never having enough. A tendency to hoard, even where there's plenty. A lack of generosity. That's just some of the symptoms of an orphan heart, some of those things. And there can be other signs that maybe other people can observe that we can see that you're kind of mistrustful or that you're hiding your true self. You're worried about what people would think. There's a kind of superficiality or there's manipulation or anger or fantasy, misinterpretation or independence. These are all the kind of symptoms that we can have of that kind of orphan heart. But Jesus came to bring freedom to us because he says, I have not left you as orphans. And he's come to reveal the Father's love and to bring healing from those wounds. Amen. Let's just stop for a moment, shall we? I just feel like I need to stop for a moment. Let's just think about what we've heard. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now, would you just come amongst us? I just pray, Lord, would you reveal any tendencies towards orphan thinking? Because, Lord, we don't want to go rooting around inside. It doesn't do us any good. But Lord, if there's anything that you want to heal today, anything that you want to set free, would you just reveal it now in Jesus' name? Lord, would you just fill us with the Holy Spirit right now? Praise God. Amen. I want to just take you through because you might feel, oh my goodness, you've led me right down this path. I'm feeling absolutely rubbish now. Thanks a lot. I was feeling great until I came to the meeting today, but now I've realised I've got a whole load of trouble. So what am I going to do about that? That's where I want us to go now. I want to take you through five steps to healing and, uh, and then we're going to pray at the end and I'm going to explain how we do that when we get to that point. But the first thing that we need to do if we've recognised some of these issues in our lives is that we need to revise our understanding of God. That's the first thing. We need to revise our understanding of God. Knowing that we've seen God perhaps through that lens. Oh yeah, I realise where I get that from now. I realise why I find it hard to engage with God in that way. It's because of my bad experience with my own dad. We can revise our understanding of God. We've been doing that over the last few weeks. We took three weeks over our identity, the identity of God as our Father. So maybe you need to go back and hear that series all over again. I'd encourage you to if you haven't heard it yet. See, God isn't like the worst or even the best parts of your earthly father experience. 
many of those thoughts that we experience about God can come from our own experience or our own church upbringing. I mean, I, I was taught stuff uh, from a previous church which was very heavy and legalistic. I grew up with a sense of fear and authoritarianism about God. It was a kind of a legalistic experience, and that was taught by the church. That's not great, is it? Not a great advert for the church. So we need to revise our understanding of God. You see, God is not distant and uninterested. God is not insensitive and uncaring. He's not stern and demanding, passive and cold, absent or too busy for me. God is not the kind of God who's never satisfied with what I do. He's not impatient or angry, cruel or abusive or trying to take all the fun out of life. God just isn't like that. He's not that kind of father. He's not controlling or manipulative. He's not condemning or unforgiving. He's not nitpicking, exacting or perfectionist. God is intimate and involved. He's kind and compassionate. He's accepting and filled with joy and love. He's warm and affectionate. Did you know that about God? He's warm and affectionate. He's always eager to be with me. He's patient and slow to anger. He's loving, gentle and protective. He's trustworthy and wants to give me a full life. His will is perfect and good and acceptable. He's full of grace and mercy, and he gives me freedom to fail. What kind of father have you got? (laughs) Because that's what God is like. He's tender-hearted and forgiving. His heart and his arms are always open. He's committed to my growth and proud of me as his growing child. I'm very willing to give you a copy of that. There are verses to back up everything I've just said right there. We need to get it into our hearts, into our heads, into our spirits. Who is God like? What is he like as a father to me? Renounce the lie and announce the truth of who he is. So revise your understanding of the father. Secondly, make a choice to face your pain. Make a choice to face your pain. So let me ask you, what do you do with your emotional pain? Because the reality is, is that we're not actually very good at dealing with it. Most of us tend to bury emotional pain, try to ignore it, or project it away from ourselves or onto somebody else. That's the best one. It's their fault. They're hurting me. (laughs) And another tendency in dealing with emotional pain is to try and anaesthetize it. And there are all kinds of ways that we can do this. We can do it with busyness, alcohol, drugs, sex, even food. As one writer says, pain seeks pleasure, and with it I comfort myself. Pain seeks pleasure, and with it I comfort myself. And I want to urge you to face it head on. Acknowledge that pain and bring it to God because only he can take it away and only he can heal you. And thirdly, repent of your orphan thinking. The reality is that you are no longer an orphan. You have orphan experiences and orphan baggage, but actually now you're a son of God or a daughter of God, and you have a perfect heavenly father. You're not hopeless, you're not rejected, you're not worthless, or any of these other things. So repent of that thinking, change your mind about it, and by faith receive your new identity as a child of God. 
And this isn't just a one-off thing in my experience. Um, this is this has been going on most of my life and probably will for the rest of my life. God will just reveal things about a wrong understanding of him, a wrong emphasis, and he'll just bring it up to, to my mind and, and set me free again. This is an ongoing thing. Repent and choose to live out of your new identity. Fourthly, forgive those that have hurt you. You know, the wounds that you've received are very real. You know, somebody should have loved you. Somebody should have affirmed you, but instead, and for whatever reason, has hurt or damaged you. Don't justify that reason. Don't say, well, they, you know, they didn't love me, but they had their own problems. Don't justify that reason. Feel the pain of that, allow the pain of that, but forgive them. Forgive them. Most of us find deep heart-level forgiveness difficult, actually. I'd say it's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit, but the relief of forgiveness and the healing that's unlocked makes the cost more than worth it, and I could tell you so many times when I've seen that. Fifthly, and we'll be very brief now, there's just two more points, but fifthly, go to the cross for your healing. Go to the cross for your healing. You have to go to the cross, because the cross is where we are united with the Father. That's where the unity with the Father comes. Here our shame is dealt with, and that's where we're set free. That's where we're translated from death into life. And then sixthly, position yourself to receive the Father's love. You see, the Father wants to pour out his love and acceptance. That's where we started today. He wants to affirm you, and he wants to encourage you. So position yourself to receive the Father's love.